the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And get our podcast wherever it is you get our your, your podcast. Do you know yet last night I was telling you we had, first of all, just... You have those moments when you're a pastor and you're like, this is why I do what I do. Yes. Right? We did a, a prayer and worship night. Oh, awesome. You know, never many people. There was like 30 people, which I was thrilled about. Wow, right? nice. We've been pubbing it. And I was in the middle of it. I had very little to do. Scott led it. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is that great. That was last night? Last night. What was the, was there a, uh, a genesis for that idea? Was nope. there a Scott like going, let's have a night where we just pray and worship. No kidding. And now I think we're going to do it more often. It was really cool. That's awesome. But afterwards, one of the guys at my church was like, I listen to your show every day. And I wanted to be like. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, you say that's your response every time it someone is. says that. <laughs> I think it says something about like my own uh, self-esteem. Like, that's awesome. Really? Really? You do? So anyway, we're glad that you're joining us today. We've got a lot of good things uh, to talk about. Right away, right off the bat, we are going to jump political. We're going to jump right in. Um, because there was, I that, gotta run to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> there was that crazy story yesterday of uh, the meeting that happened at the White House with President Trump and kind of his cabinet, and then there's that picture with with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and I believe Steny Hoyer, and it was a it, uh, it was a conversation. It was a meeting about Syria and all that's going on. Uh, and to say that it unraveled uh, is an is an insult to unraveling. How is that? Oh, wow. uh, and so, basically, let me read to you a little bit out of CNN. Uh, congressional Democratic leaders offered a remarkable readout of a meeting with President Trump on Wednesday, saying that the president called House Speaker Nancy Pelosi "quote a third third rate politician." In what they described as a meltdown, Chuck Schumer said he was insulting, particularly to the speaker. She kept her cool completely, but he called her a third-rate politician. This is not a dialogue. It was sort of a diatribe, a nasty diatribe, not focused on the facts. Pelosi went on to say what we witnessed on the part of the president was a meltdown, sad to say. And she went on to talk about how I tell the president I pray for him. And she literally said, now we need to pray for his health. Uh, wow. Donald Trump did not take this sitting down. President Trump did not take this in the same way. And he said, no, it was the Democrats who had a meltdown and stormed out basically like little kids. Right. And they stormed out. And then, of course, his tweet said uh, she's a very sick person that we need to be praying for. Uh, and so uh, so much there. I get it. There's a lot of emotion right now around Syria and stuff. Uh, but I guess what stuck out to me, and I don't know if it did to you, is I will never be ceased. Uh, I will never be ceased to be amazed by what feels like 
uh, temper tantrums and uh, and childish behavior by the people who are literally setting the policy of our country. So what do you what do you do with a story like this? What is a, a listening audience to do with what we just shared with them? I think it is. Uh, you and I have talked about how leadership matters, right? We talk a lot about how leadership matters. And it was really disturbing to me uh, to watch, regardless of which one of them you believe, like, no, it's like when my kids were little, right? And they'd be like, no, he threw a tantrum. No, he threw a tantrum. He threw the toy. She threw the toy. And it kind of goes back and forth. And then they're they're covering for each other. And you want to be like, hey, adults, this is a really big deal that you got to figure out all this serious stuff, whether it be impeachment stuff, whether it be budget stuff. And the fact that these people can't sit in the room for uh, together, and it happens over and over again, right? In January, uh, the president walked out on discussions about a partial uh, government shutdown, calling the congressional Democrats a total waste of time. Uh, I don't know what we do with it, except to kind of, I find myself just sad and mourning of this, even the state of our politics and the state of our dialogue. And what does that say then about our culture where people just can't sit in the same room who quite frankly, don't like each other. Right. People though, can't sit in the same room and be like, you know what? We are going to talk. We are going to see if we can come and we're at least going to be civil. What saddens me is the lack of civility amongst our highest leaders. And you know, I've said this to you before. I believe that that comes down and that plays into the culture, having a lack of civility. Do you really think that's new though? Do do you think it's, I think is, it's worse. Is it is it actually worse, though, or do we just have greater access to these conversations than we ever have before? I would be real and should know what people think. I think it feels worse. It feels more. Oh, I get that it feels worse. I'm yeah. just saying I think. Uh, do, would you say it's not worse? You think it's I, just that we see it now? What I'm saying is I have no idea because we didn't have cameras on our phones. We didn't have social media. We didn't have Twitter, Facebook. We didn't have any of these things where there, I imagine, were plenty of behind closed doors diatribes right. that we'll never know anything about simply because it wasn't being recorded. There wasn't any press. There was I again, I really don't have any clue. My guess is it probably is worse. I would I would I would probably guess that you're right. Yeah. But I mean we had the cameras in the Obama administration and George Bush. Like we we In recent history. In yeah. recent history yeah, yeah. we didn't see this kind of like uh, picture yourself having uh, an elder meeting or a staff meeting. Yeah. And it got to the point where it was heated enough that that somebody just stormed out, and then that you know everyone was saying no, it was his fault. That wouldn't happen. Mm. <laughs> okay, it would be probably be really surprising if it happened. And uh, <laughs> I wish people could see your face. I think right it kind of depends on the church, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I think so. I've never been in a meeting in any of the churches I've been in where this has happened. Well, not this specifically, but you've never been in a meeting where someone stormed out. It's hmm, a great. I don't think so. Really? Yeah. Oh man, you am I missing out? You now? haven't lived yet, man. Yeah, it is. Without using names or even names of churches, you have been <laughs> in a meeting where someone stormed out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, over just kind of righteous anger, disagreement, or I'm mad, I I need to just take a walk. What does that look like? Yeah, probably more. I need to take a walk. We need to do that one of these times. I mean, in the middle of the segment. Let's get really heated. You know what, Brian? I'm getting a latte. <laughs> I am out. Well, that that is interesting. I just I don't know, man. Like. When when I was watching these clips and they're they're putting out pictures of Nancy Pelosi standing and yelling and then empty chairs of them, I go, were they actually trying to accomplish anything in this? And the most telling pictures were like some of the people to the right and the left of the president, 
You know when there's when there's <laughs> when there's a really um, uncomfortable situation and like, people who aren't directly involved just look down, like when mom and dad are fighting and everyone just looks <laughs> down. Did you see the pictures of like all of the people just looking? It wasn't like people were right. go for it. They were all staring down. Like yeah. I can't believe what is happening. And then as they're, I mean, they're storming out like children. And then Donald Trump throws out at them, see you at the polls, which I was like, oh, is he going to pray? No, no, nobody see you at the polls. <laughs> I think that already happened. That yeah. was his last words. That you're just like, really, people? Like, yeah. we're talking about Syria, where people are dying. Yeah. And and the the world is waiting to see what we're going to do in some level. And we're, we're having third-rate politician. No, I'm going to storm out and get in front of the cameras and say why the president was wrong. And right. no, I'm going to say you, she had the meltdown. I don't know. You're probably right. These things have probably always happened. It's just the lack of civility makes me really sad. And it just bothers me. And it makes me have zero confidence in our politicians. Well, it was interesting because you mentioned photos, plural, but there really is one photo right. in particular right. that went kind of viral and – I think Trump tweeted it out first, and then Pelosi made it her cover photo on her Twitter page, yeah, which is a pretty savage move. But <laughs> for both of them, like it's that's the part that's strange to me because uh, presidents on Twitter is pretty new still. Yes, and in my head, I expect these kind of things from like Taylor Swift and Ariana Grande. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like am not in the slight. The slightest surprise, like, oh, of course, they're pop artists, that's what they do, they have feuds, blah, 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 blah. There is something, when we get to this next level of what, at least in my head, yeah. is a higher level of decorum and civility, yes. uh, which makes it all the more startling when you're like, oh. Does it I'm, make me just really naive to wish and, and hope for that sort of civility on our political scene? Maybe I'm just not naive. naive. Maybe, that went a maybe that went away a long time Idealistic, ago. though. Thank you. For sure. For sure. But, uh, but I think you're going to hold on to that idealism. <laughs> I think it's worth holding on to, though. Yeah. I think uh, we have, I mean, we're in such a mic drop era, though, that it's sort of like, okay, is this our best use of resources yeah. for uh, just to keep, you know, who's got the best clapback, who's got That's the best true. slam? That seems like an unhelpful way to like measure maturity and leadership. Yeah. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on civility and our public leaders. You can do that at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, a sad update about Alex Trebek uh, and some of the hard questions it causes us to ask. That's coming up next here on the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And as always, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is uh, you find your podcast. Well, a difficult story, one that we touched on a couple times over the last, I don't know, six months or so. And that is the uh, the cancer battle of Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. And uh, this headline came out. This is from Christian Headlines just the other day. It says, Alex Trebek has cancer setback. And his quote is this, I'm nearing the end of my life. Mm-hmm. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek, who five months ago attributed prayer for bringing him close to remission from stage four pancreatic cancer, has told a Canadian news program he is now nearing the end of his life. He says, I've lived a full life, a good life, and I'm nearing the end of that life. I know that, Trebek told him, told the uh, TV station. I'm not going to delude myself. If it happens, it happens. Why should I be afraid of that? And it goes on to say that uh, his most recent immunotherapy has done nothing. Uh, In a very Alex Trebek way, he used the phrase diddly squat Mm -hmm. when describing it. Mm -hmm. And he's going to return to an aggressive form of chemotherapy. And so there's some hope in this. But, you know, the winner, uh, Alex Trebek, the Jeopardy host, multiple daytime Emmy Awards, uh, well-known, like, right? We all know Alex Trebek. He's been in our living rooms for, like, 35 years. 
uh, it is weird, you know, to go, okay, this is a man facing the end, acknowledging I know that my life is coming to an end soon and not even just existentially, but literally barring a miracle uh, kind of your reaction just in general to this. But then I think it raises some important questions for us to wrestle with. Well, I remember when we first did this story and we we played the audio of him sort of letting everyone know what yes. was going on. And if you'd seen the video, he doesn't start bawling at all. He, st- he remains very composed, but he does start to tear up a little bit. Yeah. And I remember you and I both saying like how moving that was, mm. not because we'd never seen people on TV tear up before, but because... We'd never really seen him tear up before, you know, three and a half decades of sort of the stoic, you know, really kind of never let him see a sweat intellectual. He was certainly kind, but you didn't see that level of vulnerability for some reason. And I don't know if it hit you in the same way, but that initial video of him kind of letting everyone know what was going on was like, oh, man, he's like shaken, you know, and he goes on to you know admit in other interviews that he really was shaken and is pretty vulnerable. And then we thought we'd rounded the corner and then now to be, what's he, 78 years old? 78, yeah. To have this new reality staring you in the face. And I, again, we're reading it, you know, based on like interviews and clips. Uh, I really do wonder what must it be like to be that much of a public image, that much of a staple, really, yep. you know, for yep. the United States in general, uh, to navigate for him like how vulnerable how vulnerable should i be right. publicly how much of that do i only let my closest family and friends see yep. that has got to be a weird dance to want to you know to feel some obligation to like be honest with the american people yep. but another obligation to feel like okay if this really is the end then i i want to be really selective with you know what i do and don't share and who i share it with and i don't know that that my heart really really goes out to him and his family Absolutely. and what a an impossible because it says that his contract goes till 2022. Yeah. So he's at this place now where he has to like, I imagine he's a part of finding his replacement. That's weird. And that's gotta be a strange thing to, yep. to try and do, you know, this much earlier than what his contract was supposed to be. Absolutely. So there's just so many things that, that make this story pretty sad. There really are. It raises some, some, some kind of really deep questions. Uh, the first is this, and not to be too melodramatic, but like if if you get to the point where they say, "Hey, you've got X amount of time to live," what would you do with your time? What, what would I do with my time? Like if you knew, well, we all know we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but there's not there's knowing that, and then there's being told by a doctor. Yeah, right. Here's here's my best guess for what you've got. Uh, that sounds like what he's got from September. He he was given the setback by the doctors. Yeah. How would you focus your time? Uh, I mean, the first thing for me that comes to mind is family. Mm-hmm. You know, is is making some big shifts to just have real, like like as 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 present as I can possibly be. Yeah. You know, uh, second would be like really making sure this is the pragmatic part of my brain that like ducks are in a row. You know, mm. not wanting to, yep. not wanting in any way. You know, my my wife or family to be burdened by stuff that I I could have gotten you know tied up beforehand. So that would be a, that would be a really high priority. Um, I'd really want to. I mean, give back in, yeah. in some kind of capacity, some kind of there's travel is a big part of that, too. I'd love to kind of link those one two together for sure. But um, none of those, I, I think, are, would be all that surprising. But it certainly would. It would center around my family. Well, it would just, OK, in the final months or year, whatever I have, you know, I want to do all of this with them. They're they're my first priority. And yeah. that, you know, that would be hard to actually enjoy a lot of those things. I imagine knowing that, yeah. you know, you have months or weeks or whatever yep. but yep. that yeah that's what i would do i don't where, where would you do with that i would uh, very much the same yeah. i think i would link 
uh, if I had the strength to do it. Mean, let's assume that you had the strength to do yeah, it. Yeah, right, right. I'd want to link an immense amount of family time with some adventure. Like, hey, let's go. Yeah. Let's go here. Like, not adventure. Like, we're going to camp. Like, hey. So adventure is the wrong word, but like something we've wanted to do. Let's right. go as a family here. Like a bucket list thing. Yeah. yeah. Whether it be Disney World or Hawaii or whatever else it right. might be. But then I think I'd, then I'd want to be home and just, mm. I, fi- I think I'd probably shut a lot of people out. Like I just want to be with these people. Right. And do that. Another interesting question raised by this is it was somewhat high profile, right? Like uh, Alex Trebek uh, a little while ago said that he was basically... He never used the word miraculously, but surprisingly doing better. And he attributed mm-hmm. it to prayer and the prayers of people. Uh, here's a really hard pastoral question. What do you do with people saying, hey, I prayed for this and look at God's doing this. And then it turns. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And if so, how do you pastorally deal with that? Uh, one, not very well. <laughs> I yeah. mean, to be honest, uh, I get it. I, get I it. this this is the part of pastoral ministry where. I almost can't avoid it. I, I end up just taking on a lot of the other person's grief yeah. and yeah. sadness, confusion. So really, maybe that kind of answers it. The first thing I do is to really, really make sure to give them permission to be angry, mm. to not jump to platitudes and sanctimonies. And I don't quote them, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. And yeah. I don't. I'm like, hey, it's completely understandable and healthy to be confused, angry, sad, mm-hmm. doubting. And, you know, I'll talk about psalms of lament i'll talk about how important that is to not pretend those emotions aren't happening um to also talk a little bit about you know having to dispel some of the myths that like some of unfortunately some of the posturing around prayer is that if you do this god's obligated to do this like he's like he's a pinata like it just punch in the right code and trying to help paint like a deeper more profound picture without being kitschy or cliche you know that like God's up to stuff that we can't understand, um, even in the midst of heartache and sorrow, mm-hmm. and that this is part of being in a fallen world. But you know, to do all of that in the midst, of, that makes it really, really clear that like it's not just okay; it's actually really healthy for you to deal with all of the emotions and to actually even direct them to God. God would rather that we yell at Him than to yeah. walk away from Him. So bring your anger and your frustration. I think that's where Scripture is at its best in these moments. That God is near the brokenhearted, not. It doesn't say God's frightened by the brokenheartedness that he needs you to like get your life back together before mm-hmm. you can approach him again and like just making sure that there's endless permission to do that. You know? Yeah, I think that's well put, man. I do think, again, we've just already said it, but we all know that, gosh, this sounds melodramatic. We all know we're going to die. Like yeah. it's, it is uh, a certainty of life barring the return of Jesus, right? And, yeah. and, but, but there's knowing you're going to die and then there's being told by the doctor here you go yeah and it is hard at just not just pastorally but just in general how do you wrestle with that in your own life or with other people and i think your uh your advice to say uh feel the emotions be mad be like don't stuff them and be like no you know god not gonna give me more than i can handle well, right. that's, a, that's a lot that he gave you right, right there right well, and, I, and I don't think it's melodramatic. You said that a couple of times. I think uh, for the sake of the show, but yeah, right. I get it. Yeah. But like Jan Arden, who's this Canadian singer, said, "To not think of dying is to not think of living." I think it's oh, actually a very normal and healthy thing to to be considering and be mindful of. Maybe not constantly obsessed with, but, yeah, to, but yeah. to ponder, you know, our own mortality. I think that's important. That's good. That's good. Well, hopefully that's helpful. We can be in prayer for Alex Trebek and his family, but also yes. allow it to consider some of the deeper and bigger questions. Of our own lives. Well, somewhat along the same lines, we're going to talk about an article in Christianity Today next. 
uh, that talks about doubt and faith and social media and disbelief and what do you share? Uh, kind of that messy kind of social media world that we live in. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'd like to emphasize different parts of that saying, hope for your life, <laughs> hope for your life. Yeah, let's just keep doing this. Yes. <laughs> Compelling radio. <laughs> uh, that other voice here is Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk and online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Well, uh, last segment, we talked about Alex Trebek and just the, the enormity that all of us face in our lives to ponder death and our own mortality. And, and what does that do to our lives? And somewhat along the same lines comes an article from Kate Shellnut at Christianity Today uh, this week called Should Christian Leaders Preach Their Doubts? And, and so she does it in an interesting way. Uh, she basically is going to intro it and then give us uh, different Christian leaders who have wrote on the subject or who would have an idea uh, their thoughts on this. And so I thought what would be fun would be to uh, read just her, her introduction, and then we'll go through these people. Some of these people we've actually had on the show. That's right. A couple and, of them. Uh, a couple of them. So, well, uh, okay, and before you do, the, the full headline actually is, Should Christian Leaders Preach Their Doubts from Social Media Pulpits? Oh, okay. So it's not it's not just asking, should we preach them like in a in a church context? From but our from social, social media, media pulpits, that's a, right? That's an interesting uh, uh, an important one. She writes, over the summer, former pastor and I Kiss Dating Goodbye author Joshua Harris announced on Instagram the, quote, deconstruction of his faith. Then a Hillsong songwriter, Marty Sampson, posted that he was too, that he too was, quote, losing his faith. Christianity Today asked several Christian voices to share some considerations around when and how prominent figures should disclose their doubts and this belief. So when the, when you're a leader, when you're whether it be a preacher, a singer, whatever, yeah. when you're have, when you're struggling with doubts, right, and disbelief, what's appropriate to do with them? So I thought it would be interesting. These people are really smart people uh, who have written on these things. So let's just read what they have to say, and hopefully it will help you all out there kind of uh, get some categories to think about this. Yeah, Why don't like you go them. first? All right. So Michael Hidalgo, pastor of Denver Community Church and author of the book Unlost said, for leaders, these are teachable moments to show helpful ways of engaging questions, skepticism, and doubt. This demands honesty and authenticity with themselves, other leaders, and those who have entrusted them with influence. Should leaders do this, we will encourage others toward the same kind of authentic faith and come to see we are all simply sojourners in relationship with the endlessly knowable God. That's a pretty... Solid answer, but also you hear a lot of community language, like doing this in the context of, you know, life with others. Yep. Uh, Laura Ferguson Wilbert, a blogger, uh, writes this. uh, It should comfort those following to see leaders with an early and consistent willingness to be wrong, Mm. repent, ask forgiveness, change and remind others that they are not God, but that they look to him as the unchangeable one. Yes, Christian leaders should disclose their fears, doubts, and shifts regularly. Will it hurt? Maybe. But it is good for God's people to see the great physician administering healing healing to even great Christian leaders. So another person saying, I think it's not only appropriate, but helpful to put those things out there. So Mandy Smith, who we've had on the show and 
I just think is brilliant. Yep. Pastor of University Christian Church in Cincinnati and author of The Vulnerable Pastor. I would check out both of those things, by the way. Sharing doubt models the entire experience of faith to followers, reminding them not to let doubt grow in silent shame. That's a great sentence, by the mm. way. Of course, there are unhealthy ways to share doubt. When done wisely, it releases both leader and followers from the idolatry of human leadership. At difficult times in our faith, we all need our community to believe on our behalf, even Christian leaders. That's interesting. Rock solid. So she says, uh, and I totally agree with her, but she says when done wisely, what do you think, not to put words in her mouth, but what would it look like to be done unwisely? Um, I think, again, if we're talking specifically about social media, yeah. I think you can air too much yeah. laundry in that context. Uh, it can also be unhelpfully only deconstruction and not offering any construction. That's good. I think it can also be a lot of finger pointing. I think a lot of times it's, you know, tied up with very specific um, issues with other leaders or other churches or other denominations. So I think when you make it about a vendetta towards those people or the way I saw this modeled or whatever, um, I think those are probably some examples of unhealthy ways to air it. Good. Uh, (laughs) Excuse me. Drew Dick, editor at Moody Publishers and author of Generation X Christian and Your Future Self Will Thank You. Also had him on the show. Also, I believe twice. Oh, snap. A friend of the show, as what should say. <laughs> I don't know that he'd agree to that. <laughs> we didn't ask him. <laughs> Christian leaders should feel free to admit they have doubts, but they shouldn't get too specific. Mm. Disclosing that they struggle can help their followers. It shows humility and lets people know that doubting is a normal, even healthy part of faith. That's right. But when leaders air their specific doubts, they risk introducing ideas that can undermine the faith of the people who look to them for spiritual guidance. At the same time, Leaders should never stifle their doubts. They should seek out wise confidants, perhaps outside their church or organization, who can help them process their questions. What do you think of that one being more vague or veiled, I guess, in how you share it? Yeah. And, and I don't I, there's something that really resonates in that with me. That really? Sharing too much could really have a negative effect and throw people. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I think I probably lean towards that. Really? I'm yeah. torn on that one. If we got time, I might yeah. come back to it. Uh, it. Barnabas Piper, author of Help My Unbelief and the Curious Christian, says to discuss doubts or struggles can actually help followers, especially if the leader is taking doubts before the Lord, not just expressing skepticism. That is a great distinction, by the yes. way. This is different than a leader ceasing to believe in Jesus, Scripture, or the gospel. In such a case, it is incumbent on the leader to step away from ministry and give a clear explanation. The danger lies in his, and I would add, or hers, proselytizing people away from Christianity, seeking followers in unbelief, and in swaying the weaker or less mature believers into unbelieving doubt. That's mm. a lot of wisdom there. Seeking followers in unbelief. That is interesting. Yeah, right. Uh, last one, Omar Miranda, Christian mental health counselor and lay pastor. A Christian leader needs to prayerfully, prayerfully consider when, how, and most importantly, how much to share. Mm. Many times they don't share anything and come across as unrelatable. Right. But when a bombshell is dropped, the announcement serves only to confuse, divide, or destroy both their congregation and Christianity as a whole. After such a disclosure, leaders can feel relief or catharsis, though it may be spiritually catastrophic to those around them. The needs of others, specifically related to the disclosure of doubts of faith, must take precedence over a leader's own feelings. Interesting, as that's a... A Christian mental health counselor. That is an interesting take. Yeah, and the, all of these have their own kind of unique perspective, really too. None of them, by the way, if you notice, say don't. Correct. Right? They're all saying, you know, within reason, with wisdom, or in the right context. And the other thing that I find interesting, I think we talked about this on the show. Ah, you know what? Maybe I preached on it, and we talked about that. I don't know. What did you preach yep. yesterday? But this idea that 
Um, the New Testament doesn't really refer to us as sinners at all, mm. um, but numerous times as saints. So the pendulum, I think, can swing sometimes too far. One of the things that we say a lot is it's okay to not be okay. You know, giving people space to really doubt or grieve any of those things. I have also seen, though, sometimes a wallowing in, and maybe living in the space of like, man, I, I doubt everything all the time and nothing mm. makes sense and I'm awful and I'm totally broken. But, you know, Jesus loves broken people. And you're like, yes, totally. But he's also in the work of renewal and yeah. resurrection and redeeming and, and health and progress and, you know, journeying towards newness. Like, yeah. I think that's so. sometimes I think both have their their pitfalls. Right. If you're only always super mega successful, confident leader, then you're right. You're unrelatable and you're, you know. And you'll be lonely. You're going to be lonely, yeah. right? Yeah, the temptation to be lonely is on both sides of this. But the other side yeah. can be like, hey, it's cool that we all are just awful all the time. Let's just, you know, you can almost become like a pity party in that regard, yeah. too. So it is a weird kind of balance, I think, to strike. Absolutely. And I think the different voices here help us. Rem- it reminds us that this is a complicated question. That's well said. There was yeah. not each person going, well, yeah or no. Yeah, it was right. a lot of nuance in there. That's right. So. Uh, You can find this at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, a little bit of levity. Something (laughs) hilarious happened on the Wheel of Fortune the other day. Oh, I'm interested. Many 75-year-olds saw, because that's who... (laughs) I love the Wheel of Fortune, actually. Oh, my gosh. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, and this is either new Ian music or new John music. Which one is it? That feels like John. <laughs> PJ, is this you? You don't like 1901? Come on. I don't know what it is. I think you need to be I'm talking to the other Ian one in here. His head. That's, that thought that'd be something you'd like. All right. I'm going to tell you, the facial expression tells me everything I need to know from him. We need to fill some time with this segment. Let me, let me just say something. <laughs> what? I provide to go inside baseball on us, then. A list of 50 band names. He's trying to impress you. <laughs> Come on. That's what's going uh, on You here. know what impressed me is music from one of those 50 bands. <laughs> Phoenix wasn't one of those bands. Hey, John. Oh, oh boy. Hey, John, keep spreading your wings, man. <laughs> Musically, keep spreading those wings. Uh, oh, that's good. That's good. Well, anyway. this afternoon's one big face palm. I'll, I'll leave. Well, don't leave. We got to finish the show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter at Common Good Talk. All right. Favorite. That was the longest pause before Good Talk I think you've at had Common so far. Good Talk. Okay. Your uh Favorite, hmm, let's ask a question this way. Hmm. Uh, favorite TV game show? Oh, boy. Or a top three, maybe. Do reality, like, nope. Survivor, those? none of those. I'm talking like, you know, you're homesick from school and that game show. Oh, well, when I was a kid, it was Price is Right, hands down. It had to be Price is Right. It's still Price is Right. Yeah, I don't like it as much now. Mm, they do still do the game, the, the same, same games. games. Yes, I watched oh, a documentary. Actually, <laughs> I watched a documentary. It's is true of the guy that uh, like figured out all the games and like went to a bunch of the shows and would help people. That. Have you seen it? Uh, no, but I've heard the story. It's really, really interesting. <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, so I used to. Do you ever remember the show? Press your luck. No whammies. No whammies. No whammies. Stop the whammies. I never watched it. Oh, good show. Good really? show. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I like Jeopardy. I mean, when I want us to feel smart, I'll go Jeopardy or dumb, I guess. I was going to say, that makes me feel extra dumb. Like, uh, I don't know any of these answers. A couple more years from now, when your kids get a little older, watch it with them. Yeah? You'll feel smarter. 
Will I? Because they, they they won't know any of it. And then Neither you, will I, You though. yell out like two or three right answers, and they're like, whoa, Dad. I'll never forget when my kid was like, Dad, you should be on Jeopardy. I was like, yes, I should, yeah, you're son. Done, you're done right, son. Yes, I should, Wait, son. you're telling me if you get two out of a hundred right, you walk away feeling smart? No, they think I'm smart. Which makes you feel smart. Which makes me feel important. <laughs> oh, it's about feeling important. Do you remember yesterday? Was it yesterday <laughs> or today? You said your uh, one of your favorite sitcoms off air we were talking, and you said was Cheers. Yeah, one of them. Do you remember the one where Cliff Clavin plays is on Jeopardy? No. Oh my gosh, you need to YouTube this one okay. today. So Cliff goes, you know, the mailman, Cliff goes on Jeopardy. <laughs> okay. And oh my gosh, it's so funny. We're clearly just filling time. No, here. no, no. This is stream of conscience. It is so funny because, uh, at, first of all, every uh, category is like U.S. Postal Service. Oh, that's amazing. Random bar stories, <laughs> beer. Like it's everything that no would Cliff, Boston history, like all oh, this stuff. That's amazing. And he is up by like 30,000, like uh, some ridiculous. He's setting a record, I love right? It. And it goes to Final Jeopardy. Uh, and it's just a it's like U.S. presidents, and it's like a list of three names, and everyone's like, it doesn't even matter. And he bet the whole thing. Oh, no. And you can tell he doesn't know it. And like, let's say it's Abraham Lincoln, you know, Lyndon Johnson and, you know, Woodrow Wilson or it says something like that. And he writes, who are three people who've never been in my kitchen? <laughs> yeah, I got to go find this episode. Alex, Alex goes, uh, no. And he's like, but they've never been in my kitchen. And <laughs> he just starts yelling. And oh, of course. Norm puts his head down. It's oh, really my funny. word. That's I ruined amazing. it for you. But go watch it. It's hilarious. Oh, it's a, no. That's uh, the one I that's remember. That's not ruined. Anyway, you might be wondering why we're filling time and talking about this Wheel of Fortune. I'm wondering. A hilarious thing happened on Wheel of Fortune. A little bit of background. If you've ever watched Wheel of Fortune, uh, Pat Sajak, who's been like uh, super old by now, right? He, uh, I don't think he's been to there say forever. It. Same as Vanna White. He's not they look su- the same. He's not super old, though. He's got great jobs. You know they tape only like twice a week. They'll oh. do multiple shows and then oh, they get really? paid millions of dollars. Anyway. <laughs> They'll introduce the three people and they'll be like, hey, tell us something about yourself. And, and the person inevitably is like, oh, you know, I love my wife and she's the best and I've got the three best kids. And so this guy went on there and he looks the part. Shaved head, like ZZ Top beard, right? Okay. His name is Blair Davis. Uh, I want you to hear how he uh, how he disc- well, what he said for his introduction to Pat Sajak. Hello, Blair. Hello, uh, Blair Davis, Cardiff, California. Own the trucking business. It says here. Yeah, the trucking business yeah. in San Diego. Good for you. And talk about your family. I've been trapped in a loveless marriage for the last twelve years <laughs> to an old battle axe named Kim. She cursed my life with three stepchildren named Star, RJ, and Ryan, and I have one rotten grandson. <laughs> You didn't expect that, did you? You're so tickled by this that, story. What, when I saw that, I laughed. Now, for anyone who knows, uh, he it was a it was a joke. He he decided to go on there and do the opposite of what everyone does. But if you could see, I, I encourage you all to YouTube it because if you could see Pat Zajac's face when he goes, "I'm trapped in a loveless, <laughs> loveless marriage," and he says it with the straightest face. He oh, goes, he does. I'm trapped <laughs> in a loveless marriage. You picture his wife sitting out there going. Uh, I, I wonder if she thought it was funny. I said, do you think he ran that by her first? I would guess so. You think so? so? Okay, just, maybe not. Anyone who's got the guts to do that on yeah, National right, Television, right. I'm wondering, did he run it by his stepkids yeah, first? That's, yeah. Also a great question. Okay, two quick things. Yep. One, Pat Sajak is only 72, by the way. Okay. Secondly. The demographic for Wheel of Fortune. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to buy you a shovel for Christmas for all the holes you dig yourself I in. I like Wheel of Fortune. All right. 
Estimated net worth, $65 million. No <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> That's Pat Sajak. Uh, that blows my mind. But he does look pretty good, though. So here's my question. Right. After that, have you ever, uh, you and I preach often, we're on stages, we we get to speak at different places. Have you ever said something that you thought was like funny and your like wife was like, what are you doing? Have you ever said something about your wife or where she was embarrassed? Have you ever done that and not passed a buyer and immediately been like, well, that probably wasn't the best move? Okay, I thought you were asking a different question. The first question I Answer thought you were asking, questions. okay, the first I thought was, have you ever said something on stage that you thought was going to be really funny and it was not? Oh, every week? That happens every week. Every week. Honest, it's ridiculous that in my head I'm like, this this is going to crush, and then it just doesn't. Isn't it weird? Have you ever had the feeling, too, though, like you guys have multiple services. We have yeah. two at our church. Yeah. We're like, it'll kill in one service and be like <laughs> dead in the other. The next. I know. What the, it's literally the same joke. <laughs> and like, you, are you going over confident the second way? Like, well, they nailed it the first, and then you're like, oh, never mind. Yes. Yeah, it's, it is really, really humbling. I... Not to pat myself on the back, I feel like I do a pretty good job of running stuff by my wife first. Good. And she's got a great sense of like, yep, that's okay. Nope, that is not okay. What would she say no to? <sighs> that's a great question. I don't think I'm supposed to say on a radio show. <laughs> I thought it was more of a generic category of stuff. Oh, oh no, no, no. I, yeah, I don't like, even my think My wife doesn't like when I talk about our kids. Oh, at all? No, they're okay if it's funny or this. When she feels like I've shared a little bit too much about our family, interesting. Also on this radio show, but more so on the from the <laughs> has pulpit. that come up? It has. Oh boy, not so much for the radio show, but more from the pulpit. Like I didn't really feel comfortable with you. Like I'm like, yeah. So I've gotten better at telling her, hey. Uh, like the other day, I was like, hey, I'm going to tell a story from early in our marriage. It actually makes me look bad. Right. But are you good with it? And she's like, oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, you can embarrass yourself. Go ahead. But <laughs> You do every Sunday anyway. Oh, so my go, gosh, go yeah. right ahead. Yeah, but no, she gets – that's more her genre. Like it's like – I don't it. like kids. when you talk about our family and especially our kids if it's more personal in nature. Like, oh, my one kid does this. And she'll be like, oh, you can Is see that ever get Because mine are so much younger. Is that, a, is that ever difficult when something happens involving your kids and in that moment you're thinking – this would be a phenomenal illustration, and I can never tell anyone. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Do you like lament happen. that a little bit? Like, this story yes. perfectly illustrates Daniel 5. <laughs> the writing on the wall. But, but I just can't use it. Yep, yep. Or, mar- I mean, you've felt it in marriage. You're like, this would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this would help so many people. I don't know. I Here's do the it. weird thing about me, though. I like boundaries and restrictions yep. in creativity. So if it's like, no, you can't use that story, I like just take it as a challenge. Like, okay, I have to I have to try to think of a different story that communicates the same thing because I got the no on this one. I like the challenge. I don't know why. This one person that had a wife. <laughs> we'll, Let me we'll, call, we'll call him C.N. Empkins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this guy named Ian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I don't think that would fly. I would encourage you to go online. I just thought it was a funny clip. We've talked about doubt and death in the first hour here. So let's have some laughs. Can't so. believe we filled a whole segment with this. Oh, we're even over time. <laughs> Time right now, right? Let's so just, keep just keep on going. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> so uh, let's make a deal. <laughs> Crazy weather we're having, huh? Hmm. Anyway, we're glad you joined us here in the first hour, and I uh, hope you stay with us here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you so much for joining us today on this Thursday evening. Hope you're having a great day. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good. 
uh, the Common Good Radio Show. Sorry, I get that wrong all the time. You, you can, haven't done a while, though. I know. In your defense. Usually, see, now I'm getting too overconfident. Usually, we have a sign that we read, and now mm. I didn't read it. Oh. It's just like, I know this. <laughs> I know this. You can also find Things our, we get cocky about. I know. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, that helps us, and we are appreciative uh, for all of you who do that. Well, we woke up this morning to some news out of Washington, uh, and that was the death of Representative Elijah Cummings of Baltimore. He died early Thursday at the age of 68, his office said. He passed away at Johns Hopkins Hospital at 2.45 a.m. from what they are saying are complications concerning long-standing health challenges. If you had followed this story at all over the last couple of weeks, he missed some votes. Uh, he had been seen with an oxygen tank and, and he had recently been uh, in a motorized wheelchair, but he never missed uh, like he, he never he, he was part of the Congress until up until the end. Uh, and so Nancy Pelosi ordered flags at the Capitol to be flown at half staff in his memory. Uh, the White House lowered the flags. And you might remember a couple uh, months ago, maybe uh, it was Elijah Cummings at the middle of the whole thing. Uh, where President Trump talked about the city of Baltimore, and we learned a lot more about uh, Elijah Cummings. But even President Trump praised in a tweet Cummings' strength, passion, and wisdom uh, and his leadership. So I want you to hear really a, a small amount of what Elijah Cummings said in the past, and, uh, and then we want to reflect upon this. Why don't you give this a listen? When I spent time in the hospital six months, you know, you get a chance to think about your life and your death. And you try to figure out what it is that you want the most. And I think most of us, we want to know that our children are going to be okay. We want to know that they're going to It's a great quote. He said, when you're in the hospital, you're, you think about what you want, what you most want. And he said, I think we just want our children to be okay. And so really a remarkable life, regardless. I know he's a, he's a Democrat. You might be a Republican out there. That's not what this is about. This is about somebody from really humble beginnings, uh, getting into public life. He he continued to live in the inner city of Baltimore most of the time that he was even in Congress. And so uh, it would do us well to honor uh, an important life and a life well lived. Yeah, so I, I pulled up a, a page, too, of just some Elijah Cummings quotes. And uh, one that I hadn't heard yet, actually, he said, every time something bad happens to me, I don't ask the question, why did it happen to me? Mm. The question I ask is, why did it happen for me? And that kind of like... huh. I don't know. I know that that feels a little Tony Robbinsy, a little self-helpy, but <laughs> yeah. like I'm reading some of these other quotes and he's got just this, at least in public, a very sort of, I mean, you're not going to be able to keep me down. The mm -hmm. bad stuff's going to happen, which, you know, feels like a sentiment that we see less and less for some yeah. reason, or maybe I'm just getting old and cranky, but this like- <laughs> A little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, probably. But just sort of this like, you're not going to be able to keep me down. Bad stuff's going to happen. How How can I see the good in this? How can I see- I mean, he sounds like he's a man of faith, and he was asking, you know, what what is God doing in the midst of this? Yeah. Which is a really good question, I think, when you're in the midst of your own kind of heartache and trouble. Like, okay, what what is God Where's teaching God me in the midst now? of this? And uh, oh, I I appreciate that perspective. I do too. I was I was reading up on him a little bit. You know, I didn't know much of his background. It says he was born in 1951. And listen to this story. In grade school, he told a counselor that he wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and his counselor told a grade school kid, this is amazing that a counselor said this to him, that he was too slow to learn and spoke p poorly and therefore would never fulfill his dream of becoming a lawyer. Mm. What would happen to you if you were in grade school and you were like, the person was like, yeah, nope, nope, you're too slow and you don't learn quick enough to do what you think you want to do. Right. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And uh, so he went on to say this. I was devastated. 
he told the Associated Press in 1996, uh, shortly before he won a seat in Congress. He said this, though, my whole life changed. I became very determined. Mm. I think that's fascinating. Mm. Even at a young age, being told you can't do this, and then you kind of have an option, which way am I going to go here? And even at a young age, he said, that changed my life, not by making me like lose all faith in myself and that I can't do anything, but instead it made me determined to prove this person wrong. Right. There's some really cool life lesson there. Which is uh, so much easier to say than it is to actually do. Like I, I was reading a tweet the other day. Uh, it said something like, I remember when I was a kid being bullied, uh, but the worst memories are when the people would pretend to not be bullying and then ask you a question and then you answered and then everyone started laughing at you. Uh-huh. And the thread was like all these people admitting like how much they've carried that into adulthood. This like huh. expectation that, wait a minute, this is a trap. You all are in on something that I'm not. And it's mm. like affected their confidence and their ability to engage with other people. I think by the same token, being told something like that by a teacher that young an age, yeah. uh, very few people take that as like fuel to overcome. I think, I think honestly, more people are carrying stuff like that with them without any knowledge of it and it's like informing some of their own fears some of their own decisions into adulthood and that's that's hard to that's hard to wrestle with that's the crazy part i think that's why that stood out to me in that story because i think we've all had things even small things like you said from childhood where it's like yeah that kind of marked me in a negative way right like somebody said this about me or somebody said you're not good enough and you're like oh maybe i'm not and it kind of what I would have expected in his story was a counselor said I wasn't smart enough or quick enough to be a lawyer. So there, you know, my dream to be a lawyer died on that day. Right. And so I guess I would ask you, like, how do you uh, take it? We all want that attitude that he's got there. Like, I'm going to take this negative fuel that someone has thrown at me and use it to spur me on to prove them wrong. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah. What, what's the key to actually living that out? Do you think? I don't think there's a key. I, I don't. I really don't. Th- I think it's a series of a number of different things, and I think a lot of that depends on you and your unique makeup. And you know, the, I think the kitschy Hallmark card type of advice is just believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we, I think, we can adopt that in the church, and we have like Christian versions of Hallmark sayings where it's like God huh. made you special, or which again, all these things are yeah. true. But I think sometimes we think they're more clever than they actually are, yeah. or more helpful than they actually are. Another quote that I found from him: He said, "I was in special ed, but I felt like I was a caged bird. I felt like I could do better. I made sure I mastered my special ed lessons. I made sure I listened to my teacher. I made sure I did my homework, but I had to do a little extra. I didn't know that he was in special education no. classes at all. And for him, at whatever age, to have the wherewithal, which, to be honest." To make decisions like that that young is prob- probably says more about like the household and context he was raised Agreed. than his own mm, his own sort of fortitude. Yeah. Um, which props to you, parents, you mamas and papas that are like pouring into your kids and speaking words of encouragement, but yeah. also like holding your kids to task mm. when they are dishonest or they don't follow through on the thing. They say. Like it's a both and, and I feel like that's sometimes where I get a little. There's a lot of videos right now that are kind of going mega viral of like kids reciting back things that their parents taught them where they have like a chance or something where it's like, I'm awesome. I'm perfect. I can do no wrong. And, they'll, and I'm like, ah, I love that positivity in your kid. Um, yeah. That's not true. Though. A little reality would be helpful. <laughs> right. So, it, and I, maybe that is, maybe I am a curmudgeon. I think it is worthwhile no. to say, Hey, you're going to fail. And that doesn't change my love for you one bit, yeah. Yeah. but how you respond to failure or how you respond to setbacks, I think is 
almost more important than any of this because it's going to happen anyway. And when we don't actually, you know, set our kids up to actually power through these things in a way that's honest and full of integrity, I think we do them a disservice. Do you, uh, how do you do at handling uh, critique and failure and... It really, really depends on a couple of factors. One, the level of trust trust and relational equity that I have with the person. Yeah. Two, and the other piece that I'm not really proud of is how many people are present for this correction. Oh, so one-on-one still stings, mm-hmm. and I'm still prone to some defensiveness, but I take it a lot better. But if it was like a public embarrassment or a public criticism, that, so that's a lot harder mm, for me. That's really interesting. I've shared this before. I don't think I do criticism well. Like receiving, receiving it? it? Yes. Mm. I actually don't give it very well either, but uh, I I am, uh, I've found even, you would think you'd like you become hardened as you get older. Yeah. Like, but I actually think I do criticism, I take criticism worse now. Mm. Like I think you get beat, not that I've had it, you know, getting beaten down, but I think right, you, right. as you get more of it over the span of your life, you're right. like, oh, just kind of weary of this. Whereas when you're 20s, you're like, no, oh, okay, one person said something, but I don't. Yeah, I wonder why that is. I, I feel like I'm getting worse at taking criticism. So mm. I, I probably need to, I need a little Elijah Cummings in me. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, where does Brian Fromm even go from? How do you get better you know? at something as nebulous as taking criticism? Because, yeah. you know, we've all been in those situations where you think you've gotten better at something, and then someone says something, and you, like, feel the heat rise in yeah. your belly. And you're like, yeah. oh, Gosh, why am I so angry at this? Why yes. am I so? Def- I haven't felt this way in so but why long. Why did that you know? knock my confidence so much? Right. Like, oh st- my goodness. I'm reeling. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. So Elijah Cummings passes away. Uh, a life well lived. If you don't know much about him, we would encourage you to go read about him. Whether you agreed with him uh, politically or not, that's not the point. Uh, a lot to learn from his life, and we'd encourage you to read it. Coming up next, we're going to discuss an article from the USA Today uh, that's really uh, an interesting concept: uh, the concept of atheist megachurches. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you join us today on this Thursday afternoon. You can continue the conversation with us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, and our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. You can listen to us uh, on a walk. You can listen to us on a road trip. You can listen to us when you don't want to listen to your family members. I wish you could all see Brian just <laughs> My waving his arms like he's the Pope. <laughs> listen a, to us over walk. there. Listen to us over Who there. Who are you waving at? No one else is here. <laughs> it felt right. <laughs> I believe I believe that. We are grateful for those of you who podcast. And uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, we, we appreciate it. Uh, so let me read to you the beginning of an article here that was in the USA Today. Uh, it says, It looked like a typical Sunday morning at any megachurch. Hundreds packed in for more than an hour of rousing music, an inspirational sermon, a reading, and some quiet reflection. The only thing missing was God. Hmm. Dozens of gatherings dubbed, quote, atheist megachurches by supporters and detractors are springing up around the U.S. after finding success in Great Britain. The the movement fueled by social media and spearheaded by two prominent British comedians uh, is no joke. On Sunday, the inaugural Sunday Assembly in Los Angeles attracted more than 400 attendees, all bound by their belief in non-belief. Similar gatherings have popped up in San Diego, Nashville, New York, and other U.S. cities. Uh, so have you ever heard of these? Let's start there. Have you ever heard of these? Then I want to get into what is driving them. 
Uh, yes, I yeah. have. Yep. Uh, secondly, not to split hairs, is 400 a megachurch? <laughs> I think for the atheists it is. <laughs> oh, is that how it works? I don't know. Based, so based I thought on... the same thing. When the title said megachurch, I was like, how many people You're are You're picturing thousands, yeah, I think, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Which, again, is not the point of the article yeah. at all. But is that mega? Hmm, yeah. we'll find out. Uh, yeah, I actually, I've seen some... Some short. I'm trying hard not to say the word documentary right now, knowing that you'll make fun of me. Um, no, do it. I liked it. Okay. I, I'm a huge documentary fan. It was, I watched one the other day, by the way. Did I'm so a thirty for thirty on ESPN. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship. That's, it was really good. It was really good. If you hadn't told me any of that, and I had to predict, yeah, that's I what that's what it would have been. Yeah, but, uh, it's they're, a documentary. They're pretty wonderful they too. Are. Yeah, are. this wasn't even a full documentary. This was like a like a twenty minute like web episode about gotcha. this idea though, and the guy kind of go. He visits like three or four to kind of uh, ask really? questions, get in their heads. And I, I will say this though, um, based on based on what they captured, I was like, wow, this l- looks and sounds and feels a whole lot like a church. No <laughs> kidding. I watched some as I was researching. I saw some clips, and I'm like. That in fact, one of the things that I watched, they they superimposed it next to another church, yeah, and they were like saying the same things, except oh, one was reading out of the Bible, one was reading out of you know some author. Oh, but really? The songs, the turn around and talk to somebody, the this wow. and that. Wow, it, uh, it was pretty wild, and so uh, it was very interesting. One of the guys who's behind it, uh, he said this. He said he first got the inkling for the idea while leaving a Christmas Carol concert six years ago. Okay. He says, there was so much about it that I loved, but it's a shame because at the heart of it is something I don't believe in. If you think about church, there's very little that's bad. It's singing awesome songs, hearing interesting talks, thinking about improving yourself and and helping other people, and doing that in a community with wonderful relationships. What part of that is not to like? That's really wild. Like That is a perceptive... He's basically going, I love everything about the church except for Jesus, so let's create something like that. I don't know. There's a lot. that that I read that quote because when I first heard about atheist megachurches or atheist churches at all, I kind of thought it was going to be almost a, a, like a, um, uh, a way to poke fun at regular churches. Like it oh. was almost that was my first uh, yeah. thought I don't when think I read about them. Interested in poking fun at churches by uh, and large. Yeah. That was, but just saying that was what I first thought it was going to mm. be. And so to read that, actually, he's going. No, no. There's actually a lot of things about churches that I really like that yeah, I was right. searching for, but not Jesus was uh, was really interesting. So uh, one of the churches that's highlighted in this article, Sunday Assembly, uh, their motto is "Live better, help often, wonder more." I like all of them. <laughs> Again, devoid of. Jesus, God, the yes. Bible, the cross, yes. resurrection, stuff that I think is obviously, hopefully it's obvious, yes. listeners by now, completely central and non-negotiable. Yeah. But You're uh, not suggesting go visit the local no, atheist church. No, I am suggesting go visit. I think... Don't become a member. Maybe that's more of <laughs> that. But I, yeah, I think visiting is probably yeah. really helpful. The Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life released a study last year that found 20% of Americans say they have no religious affiliation, an increase from 15% in the in the last five years, Pew researchers stressed, however, that the category also encompassed a majority of people who said they believe in God but had no ties with organized religion and people who consider themselves spiritual but not religious. Do you remember? I imagine this was like a big conversation when you were in college, too, the whole spiritual but not religious yeah. kind of debate. Mm-hmm. Does this surprise you that that's still like such a uh, such a prevalent attitude or prevalent pathos? I don't 
think so because uh, it, there is more and more that you hear about people saying I'm I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. Like that seems that dichotomy seems to exist I- increasingly, not decreasingly. Um, yeah, I I think that. What does this tell you about what can we learn from this about why people might be choosing to come to our churches? Right. Like that. What do we learn about what is kind of there's some deep seated human craving here. Uh, oh, there's a lot of deep seated. Yeah. Cravings. In, in this article. Like, yeah. what? I'm still trying to get at the whole. Co- I don't know why I'm so still mind blown a little bit by the concept of an atheist church. But uh, is it weird then that it doesn't blow my mind at all? Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering what is what is what are just what are just basic human cravings that this is satisfying because a lot of times we're like well people come to church because they want to learn about jesus which is true yeah and know jesus more deeply but there's some more stuff to it i honestly i think the three biggest human cravings this is not a um scientific list yeah love purpose meaning Mm. to be totally completely known and to know others deeply purpose that my life is pointing towards something and meaning behind all of this can this really be all of it and i think creating a space now it does interview you know other uh clergymen later in the article to say you know they're a little more offended by it than you or i seem to be like oh that's not right to borrow religious language for a gathering that's essentially is that you know the central thesis of the gathering is what you're not or what you don't believe in you're saying that's that's weird yep but I was just having this conversation yesterday about the the deep need for community and how for a lot of people they're you know out of college mm-hmm. uh, let's say they don't necessarily connect with the people that they work with there's a deep longing to like be with people to give back to the world somehow and to celebrate together to you know find a network or a family or however you want to define it so I think that atheists who you know uh, desire those things like most humans it would it makes perfect sense to me that they would want to organize some kind of space for them to experience those things. I guess, uh, yeah. I what would be interesting to me is to follow some of this because, uh, you know, I think in churches, those of us who've been in in Christian churches for a long time, we kind of say things like, uh, "You, you're not going to find the ultimate meaning you're looking for. Yeah, the ultimate hope you're looking for, the unconditional love you're looking for, apart from Jesus." And these people are going, "Yeah, yeah, no, I think we have. I think we are." And what's interesting to me is I would still like to say I, I think there's going to be a lower ceiling to this to get there. But I wonder if that's – I wonder if going to an atheist church, let's put it bluntly this way, pushes more people towards Jesus huh. or, or makes them go, yes, yeah, see, I told you I didn't need that. Hmm. There's no way to know that. It's what goes through my mind, though. Like, oh, there okay. is a way to know that. We could – I mean, someone could measure this over the next 20 years and – I mean, there's no way to know that right now. <laughs> oh, during this segment? For us to know Correct. this right now. Yes, no possible way. But I, I do think – I don't know – again, I want to be very, very careful to not lump all atheists into a certain uh, belief either. Fair. So like what you were saying about this idea of, oh, no, we found ultimate love and purpose, whatever. I don't know necessarily that they would even say that. Yep. I think – some atheists would say, well, that's unknowable. Mm-hmm. Like there is mm-hmm. no way for us to achieve that, which is why we need each other to at least get through this thing called life. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think uh, every atheist lands specifically in the same place. And those, it's just like it, not no, every Christian yep, lands yep. in the same way. No, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, I think as Christians, like you said a lot, there were clergy who were like, this is wrong. I think we should use this as an opportunity to go, okay. Like we're kind of speaking the same language. And yeah, our answer right. is Jesus, and it gives us opportunity uh, to to share why and more often. Very interesting. Atheist churches, uh, something going on in our country, growing more and more.
Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, an Illinois congressman and a uh, bit of a crazy proposal this congressman made. That is next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We are glad that you're joining us today. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. It's good to be together. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online, 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts. And Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. All of those places, we try to connect with our people who are listeners, and uh, we post articles and would love to have you uh, continue the conversation. I feel like we're, we've been at this 10 months now, right? Mm, I, yeah. 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 I feel like, I feel like we need to be, we're, we're get, do you think we're near the part yet where we can do like a listener party? Like a meet us for pizza type of deal? Don't you wonder who's out there? I don't think anyone would be interested in that. You don't? I mean, I like pizza. Like if we said, I, I think you're probably right, but don't you sometimes wonder like who's out there listening? Like, are there people? Oh, I certainly wonder. That. We would be yeah. setting ourselves up for that sad moment where it's you and I at a table <laughs> eating pizza. <laughs> Just you know what else. wouldn't be sad? You and I eating pizza. That's that's, that's a perfect. <laughs> it's on the station. <laughs> it's a fail safe though. Like even if no one shows up, I still got some pepperoni out of the deal. The next day we're coming in. Hey guys, talk to us. How the how did the uh, party go? Oh, it's great, we guys. Did, well, I learned a lot about Ian. <laughs> <laughs> we should do another one like next week. Oh, that's funny. We'll give out mugs there. We'll give out you know coffee mugs or something. <laughs> anyway. We'll do that someday when we know people will show up. But we're glad that you listen. If, you, uh, if you're if you a podcaster, too, thank you for doing that. Go ahead and tell your friends. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Well, an interesting article right out of Illinois. The reason I want to talk about this is because it's from our home state. Uh, so let me just read it a little bit and, uh, and uh, give me your thoughts. Okay. A Democratic senator has proposed a bill that would stop Illinois from requiring employees to go on sponsored travel to states with pro-life protections. State Representative Daniel Didek says the bill would prohibit travel to states with strict abortion laws, such as laws banning abortions after eight weeks, laws that restrict abortion after a heartbeat is detected, and laws that do not allow abortions for victims of rape and incest. The bill would let the state attorney general publish a list of states with those types of laws. Didek says the proposed law is not meant as a, quote, boycott of those states. This is not like a boycott of those states or anything like that, although in effect it may look similar, he said. The purpose of the bill is to protect a woman who may not be able to get the health care they may need when they're traveling on official state business. What these other states are doing is, to me, very dangerous. To a large extent, yes, abortion is a big part of it, but not entirely about abortion. As a member of the legislature, I have the responsibility to protect our state employees. But pro-life advocates say the proposal is a more political move than one meant for the cure, uh, the care of women. This bill is yet another indicator that Illinois legislators will cast aside all other priorities to force abortion down the throats of our state residents. Mary Kate Knorr, executive director of Illinois Right to Life, said uh, Representative Didak, who introduced the bill, is clearly more concerned with his own political capital than he is with protecting the health and well-being of women, both in Illinois and elsewhere. This year, 12 states have passed some type of law that restricts access to abortion facilities, including Indiana, Missouri and Kentucky. Uh, does that surprise you that this type of law would even be proposed? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> Isn't it really weird? Yeah. I'm trying not to sound 
so naive. It, it, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of surprised by it. I'm not going to lie. What surprised you? I all of it. All of it. <laughs> what do you think? I'm going to put you in the mind of State Representative Daniel Didek. Okay. What do you think the? Re- I know he. I know his stated reason here. I don't believe him, but I know his stated reason. What do you think? If you could climb into his head, or we get we inject him with truth serum, what's going on here? What is going? What, what is even the reasoning behind this? What could it be? I really don't want to play that game. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm assuming you have a thought though. On this truth oh, serum climbing his brain, I think it is. Uh, I think it's just purely political. It's it's. What just, does that mean, though? I think it's purely uh, trying to score points. Uh, I think he's read the landscape of at least his district. Uh, he's trying to make a name for himself. Okay. And hey, what's one way I can do this? It's to look like I am uh, standing up for women. What doesn't make sense to me is like his reasoning was so that they are, can get the health care they need. When they're in other states, like, yeah, right. What, I, I don't even know what he's talking about there. Like, right. all you're saying is, okay, you can't, you don't have to go to Indiana because you can't get an abortion there like you can here. That doesn't strike me as health care, but it right. also strikes me as just kind of where we are as a state a little bit. Well, can I, uh, I found this quote that I found pretty compelling. It's uh, Robert Gilligan, executive director of the Illinois Catholic Conference. Uh, it says, found the bill to be lacking in logic in terms of effective state legislation. And this is what he says. I mean, it's absurd. Do we prevent state employees from traveling to Flint, Michigan, where they have less safe water? Hmm. This type of thinking is endless. I think we should have a list of all states with weaker air pollution laws, water laws, driving laws, gun laws, and we shouldn't be sending people to those areas either. Hmm. So that's kind of a clap back, huh? That's a little yeah. bit of a... And there, California did some stuff like this and some others. And it, it, the dangerous part of this is like... Yeah, we're a country made up of 50 states, but we're still a country. And so for for them to be like, hey, they're not saying we won't – you can't go there, but we won't send you there. We, we're going to punitively uh, go against this state. You can really see a picture where where states are just kind of uh, at it war – not war. Sorry, that did not make – I don't want to incite a civil war conversation. Sure. But where it's really at odds with each other yeah. and you're starting to use state against state – that feels like another level to where we've been, uh, except in the mid 1800s. I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, current, I mean, okay. uh, <laughs> I will say, caveat it with wait, the recent wait, past. Wait a minute, I'm not a big history guy. There's but. museum guys in Springfield right now. Go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> These no, guys must be pastors. I mean, in like our lifetime, or in yeah. recent, or even more recent past. I've never heard of. I don't ever remember growing up hearing states like, "Yep, yeah, our state people aren't going to that state because." We don't agree with that law. And now it feels like this is becoming more and more and more. Are there other examples like this that you can think of outside of California? I mean, when the whole abortion thing was coming out, and, and Georgia, right, was one of the first ones right, that was like, right. we are really going to restrict. There was a lot of other states, California, some others, who were like, we're not going to send people there. And then you had Hollywood, too. Like, we're not going to do movies there. But that's yes. different. They, it is different. Private organizations can do want, that. Right. Um, but there was a lot, and that's what this is picking up on, right? Illinois guy going, well, we're very pro-abortion, so we're gonna we're gonna distance ourselves from some of these places where we think, you know, that that, that they're too restrictive. It's also very telling that he says that he calls strict abortion laws ones banning abortions after eight weeks, or that restrict abortion after a heartbeat is detected. Uh, like, 
it is very telling that that is what's rec- that's what's called strict right now. Hmm. Uh, that's also sad, but I-, I do think there's political pandering going on here. Well, let's be honest, like okay. this guy, we wouldn't be talking about State Representative Daniel Didek. Uh, for other reasons. And so I think he's playing to a crowd and probably trying to get a name. But uh, this feels like dangerous precedent, like your guy who you read the quote said, OK, we don't like their gun laws. Right. We don't like their uh, tax system. We don't like their air pollution or what they believe about climate change. Right. And then pretty soon you take this to its worst and it we do then become a nation that's literally red and blue, right? right? Like the red states are only going to the red states and the blue right. states are only going to the blue states. And I don't know how you function as a country like that. I, I just saw a, a GIF, actually. It was a – I'd never seen a GIF, by the way, that went this long. But it was uh, – <laughs> it was it was animating uh, the progressive divide of political parties in our country in the last 150 years. Okay. And I, this is not helpful to talk about it on the radio, but – it you know 150 years ago it had the dots kind of all interspersed and it was actually really kind of haunting to see over the course of a century how this divide became so really obvious and so stark and it for me was this reminder that oh it hasn't always been this way mm. and back to some of the other stuff you've been saying some of that has to do with civility some of it has to do with what politicking actually looks like yeah. now where you yeah. almost have to be over the top and inflammatory yeah. to even, at least maybe in their minds, get stuff done. Yep. Moderates don't move the needle. Like, I just think there's all this unhelpful. It's almost like the philosophy of clickbait has seeped into our political spectrum and our political sphere mm. where it's got to be. It's, it has to cut through all the other noise. So it's yeah. almost this like addiction to. Um, being provocative or being controversial or being yeah, somehow true. You know, over the top, which is not a great look on us. Yeah. I remember the very first presidential election I can ever remember as a kid, 1984. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Reagan won 49 of the 50 states. And like that, wow, that says something for who ran against them. But it also like right. you can't picture that. That would be impossible yes. right now. Right. That would be impossible. And that speaks to our Unless changing. Brian Fram. Fram. Fram? <laughs> Hello. Nice to meet you. Brian Fram. Brian Fram. <laughs> man is what I wanted to say. Totally botched it. That's awesome. Speaking of totally botching it, we're going to end this show with some interweb insanity coming up next year on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. It is that time of the show. You know what time it is. I don't know what time Time to tell people about the Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. I got you on that one. Man, you're such a trickster. (laughs) This is also the time of the show where we end it with just some interweb insanity. We've had uh, heavy topics today, some fun ones, but we always like to end the show just laughing. And uh, (laughs) uh, these come from the minds of our producers, PJ, and our executive producer, Keith Conrad. Uh, So we don't know them either. Uh, But here we go. You want to go first? Nah. You go, okay. I'll do Virginia. Here we go. Virginia. UPS driver makes hilarious attempt to hide package. You got to need to see the picture of this one. Go ahead and Google it. Well, that this is really more of a uh, internet type of story, yeah, isn't yep. it? Yeah. A delivery driver hilariously followed instructions while delivering a package, though the directions made little sense given what was being delivered. The resulting <laughs> picture revealed one of the funniest ways for someone to find a package by their front door. Ebony Freeman recently received a new doormat from a friend that reads, please hide packages from husband. 
The Texas native apparently liked the mat and placed it outside the front door to her house. A few days later, she reportedly received a package and a delivery driver followed the mat's instructions. Unfortunately, the package was a long, elongated package that was not hidden very well by the mat, if not at all. Freeman shared a photo of the package on Facebook and captioned it, uh, Oh my goodness, look, the UPS guy actually hid it under the rug. Is there anything you want? Is there anything you need? McFeely's delivery brings it to you here with speed. <laughs> I was really wondering where that was going, actually. Too. Is that Mr. Rogers? <laughs> I think so. Okay. Yeah. All right, Texas. Texas man who said cops wouldn't find him is found arrested <laughs> on burglary charge. <laughs> That's a pretty unfortunate way for that story to go. Mm-hmm. I want, uh, A wanted Texas man who challenged police to find him was arrested after police found him. <laughs> Uh, Jason Miguel reportedly issued the bizarre challenge to the Wharton Police Department when he was informed Friday he was wanted on a burglary charge, telling an officer the cops would have to find him first to arrest him. And then uh, and then he doubted that they would actually live up to the task. An officer suggested he turn himself in, to which Miguel allegedly said he would when he felt like it. Wow, this is a real cool guy. The department posted a photo. When I feel like it. <laughs> That's probably how I should have read it. Hey, just turn yourself in. No, when I feel like it. No. I don't feel like it. <laughs> Police officer, what's his face? I already lost it. The department posted a photo of their hide-and-seek challenge to Facebook, along with a photo of what appeared to be Miguel's car. Officer said that the defiant challenger forgot what was out of uh, was that our department is more than eighteen thousand strong because each of you made the choice to police with us. Together, we're a team that not even Garrett Cole can strike out. Ha <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Kansas uh, sanctuary gives older shelter dogs a home-like environment. Uh-huh. Always and forever, not uh, forever, okay. forever. Uh, Midwest Animal Sanctuary provides a home for pets nearing the end of life. The idea is get them out of a shelter to enjoy the time they have left. It's about as peaceful of a country life as one could ask for. There's soft music for pups taking an afternoon nap or just out for a walk. In the 17 months we've been open, we've saved 470 dogs. She said it started with a simple idea. We basically take all the old dogs that really need somewhere to spend the rest of their lives. For these pets, it's about space and time in a shelter that's more like a home. Uh, Every single dog's life matters. It doesn't matter the age or the health. No dog deserves to die in a shelter. How is this going to turn funny? There are 18... (laughs) Good point. There are 18 dogs currently living at the sanctuary, giving them a chance to relax, to go inside or outside. Just give them love for however much time they have and let them know at least they matter to us. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. Yep, that's the go-to when when it's kind of (laughs) sad. Have we had a show, a Kickers, without that one? It's been a while. Really. It's been a while. <laughs> All right, Wisconsin, Illinois' top hat. Wisconsin Police Department stumbles upon grisly scene of half-eaten donuts. <laughs> see where this is going. Uh-huh. A half-eaten box of donuts was the subject of a grisly scene in Sparta, Wisconsin. Police said the incident was a potential trap to lure in tired and hungry night shift officers. What? Shared on Facebook, the Sparta Police Department reported officers looked at a suspicious package in a school parking lot a few nights ago. Taking a closer look, a grisly scene unfolded. Photos of the, quote, victims were taken, which may be disturbing to small children and members of the law enforcement community. Police said the victims appeared to be one cinnamon roll donut, two chocolate frosting with sprinkles, one white white frosting with sprinkles, and another whose shape was severely mangled and could not be identified. That's funny. Yeah, that's about right. That's funny. Last one. Washington State. A man charged after roommate attack believed he was a vampire. 
Uh, a Washington what? state man was charged with a felony assault after police say he attacked his roommate, believing he acknowledged being a vampire. A Kitsap son reported Monday that a Kitsap County char- court charged the 40-year-old Bremerton man Monday after he was supposed uh, suspected of using a metal rod to nudge his roommate in the closet. The roommate told county deputies that the suspect accused him of being a vampire, threatened to kill him, and struck him with a metal rod. Huh. The roommate says he feared for his life because the subject was has severe mental health issues, that is true, and is physically larger. The suspect's brother told deputies that the roommate jokingly said, is that what the kids are calling me these days? Authorities say the suspect believed the roommate acknowledged being a blood-sucking creature. My God. Now she's dead. No, she's not. She's alive? She's not Faratu. She's Italian? <laughs> I didn't know where that one was going. Should we even still be doing this segment? No. <laughs> that, the, the last story always is like, all right, now we're going home. Yeah, anyway. Jeez Louise. It has been a fun show today. We're glad that you joined us on this Thursday afternoon. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.